Father, we read some of these words, maybe very, very familiar to some of us, maybe for others of us, for the first time we've heard these words. They're a great description of you, the Lord Jesus. Father, help us, help us to see clearly tonight the extent of your love and grace and the way that you humbled yourself for individuals like us. May it baffle us, may it give us wonder, uh, may we be pulled into a, a loving relationship with you. May we, we love you with our hearts so full of joy. And may then we go and do likewise as Paul suggests the Philippian church should live. So we want to pray that right at the beginning of our time into your in your word, um, to the very last word spoken. Please, Father, would you continue to transform us, make us more like Jesus in your name. Amen. Well, the last six months have enabled us to see the best in people, haven't they? I wonder what stories you've got in lockdown and with the restrictions. Uh, what good stories have you got of people, of humanity? Well, all sorts of things that neighbours have done. Um, a neighbour uh, on, uh, on Victoria Road um, shared flower seeds with different houses down our street so that we would grow our own flowers. A community help group, a WhatsApp group was set up and someone on our street made a gymnastics beam for Corabel to put in the garden and practice her gymnastics. Stories of people in the queue in shops insisting on paying for the, the shopping of NHS care workers in front of them. Remember the memories of standing in unity, perhaps on your street and clapping for carers? Remember those days? You see, in the last six months, we have perhaps seen the very best in humanity, the very best in society. A newspaper headline captured it, hope in humanity restored again, just a few weeks ago. But I bet the last six months we've also seen the worst, haven't we? The clearing of shelves of flour. I need so much. I was gutted when I went into Aldi, desperate to pick up flour to, uh, to make another batch of cakes, as I often do. What about, uh, oh, sorry, I can't go on much further, can I? I tried to get away, but I saw too many grins. You know I've never baked a cake in my life. What about the fight in the supermarket aisle over toilet roll? Unbelievable. Ignoring the rules on people's gatherings, cramming 50 people into a house for a, an all-night rave party. Selfish. The bitter and vehement comments of, against politicians on social media. Well, they just deserve it. You see, over the, next, uh, the last six months, we've seen the best and we've seen the worst in people, in society. And Paul, here, 
He helps us see what a selfless church looks like. Because I don't know about you, when I look in the mirror over the last six months, I'd like to say once or twice I've seen some of the best of me. And then I definitely have to say more than once or twice, people have seen the worst of me. And Paul here is speaking to a church about selfless love, about what it means to live with other-centered concern. Two points, a selfless church and a selfless saviour. That's what we're going to look at tonight, a selfless church and a selfless saviour. Let's look at a selfless church together. Verses 1 to 5. See, our natural tendency is to put ourselves first. Natural tendency. Our needs. I need to watch the TV to relax. Our wants. I want a proper working space at home. Our desires. I don't fancy engaging in Zoom. Not today. Not with town church folk. I'd rather read a book this evening than listen to a sermon. You see, our natural tendency is to think about ourselves. Comments I've made to Kerry over the last couple of months, those three comments were. Why? Because that's easy for me. It's my life. That's what makes me comfortable. You see, I decide my borders, my time, my space, my money, me, me, me. Paul speaks into this context because the church are in danger. He's saying, don't do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. Paul is concerned that the Christians in Philippi will start living for themselves. That's verse three and four. You can look at it. He's concerned that the Christians in Philippi will start living for themselves, will start being driven by selfish ambition. I know exactly what selfish ambition is. The vain conceit, wanting then recognition, wanting people to know who we are, who I am, what work I've done, the good things that I've been able to achieve in the last six months, the amount of times I was able to give to Food Bank. And Paul talks again to the Philippian Christians, and there's a danger. A danger that they'll be driven, selfish ambition, vain conceit. And then in verse 4, don't value yourselves above others. I'm more important. Sorry, still in verse 3. That idea that I'm more important to the decision of, of town church meeting up again. Now, I've got children. Surely, dear town church, you should be thinking about us. Don't value yourselves about others, above others. And he's concerned that they'll be looking to their own interests. That's verse four. It doesn't work for me. Therefore, I'm not going to engage with the online. Look, I'm just picking out little threads that we've had to wrestle with as a church uh, over the last six months. And it's this idea that Paul's speaking into. There's a danger that the church just thinks about me, me, me. And this morning, if you were on, we did the all-age gathering. We talked about the picture of the child's birthday party. 
the host shouts food and a riot erupts sitting around the table diving over each other grabbing the food the sandwiches are left and we go straight for the sweet things straight for the cakes there's a danger here as paul in verses three and four says do nothing out of selfish ambition there's a danger that they will do nothing out of vain conceit don't value yourselves above others look don't look to your own interests See, Paul is saying that when the church act like the church, it makes his joy complete. He's saying, when you act like a church, when you don't do those things, it makes my joy complete. Because here's the opposite. When the church starts living for me, 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 the church falls apart. The church stops being church. So this is why then in verse two, and we're just going back a verse, he drives this home. Make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul is saying there's joy for the Christian. We've talked about it already in chapter one. Rejoice in so many ways, so many things that God has done. Rejoicing in the way that you, Christians in Philippi, are growing in your faith. And Paul is saying, but this is it. Here's the climax. You'll make my joy complete if you act as the church should act. Together in thought, united by love, standing together in solidarity. Sure you've had one of those moments. Perhaps it came with clapping for carers and you look down the street and there was that moment of drawn in unity. You couldn't create it, it's never been seen before on your street. And you're clapping away, someone's banging a drum. Uh, down the road and you're just smiling at your neighbours and you wave into the chap down the road and you're thinking this is unity and it it sends a shiver down your spine it did me the first time and I came in and Kerry laughed what but I felt it there was something about unity with others maybe you've been at a sport sporting occasion and there's been a minute silence and the whole of the stadium has come together, solidarity, in unity, silence for a minute. Or maybe best at the Millennium Stadium with the Welsh National Anthem, singing it with gusto, arm in arm, unity. Do you see what Paul is saying? That for me would make my joy complete. If you can together being like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and one of one in mind i think the best stories of town church bista some of the best that perhaps for johnny sign myself have, have we can say something a little bit like paul God, that's made our joy complete if you've been with us for some time, you'll remember John King. You know what brought the three of us real joy? It was when we heard stories 
of people who would go and visit John King. Just sit with him. Spend time with him. Eat with him. Watch TV with him. Play computer games with him. Another area that's made our joy complete is when many of you have had newborn babies. And the care packages from other mothers potentially in the church just landed on doorsteps, caring for the new family member. We've loved it when there's been a story of growth groups forming and people not, not at first wanting to meet in the morning or in the evening, but actually deciding because the others want to meet in the morning. Do you know what? I'll shift my pattern. I'll shift it for the sake of the group. When we hear stories of you sharing faith, of opening the Bible with a friend, and it comes back to our ears. That's when we can say, to some extent like Paul, that's made our joy complete. The church is acting as the church should. It's a selfless people. But isn't it so hard? But isn't it so hard, that phrase in verse 2, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Humility. It's a word that was despised in ancient time. Humility enables you to, to value what is right. And yet, in the ancient days, then humility, it was personified by a servant, a nobody, a no one, a nothing. Humility was not something to be sought after. And yet humility enables you to value what is truly valuable, says Paul. A right understanding of yourself. A right view of Jesus, as we'll go on to. And then a right and loving view of others. Verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. That's how he starts this chapter. See that word if? It, it just means since. When I think that this is so hard and it is so hard in humility to think of others more than I would myself, I think when I do that, when do you do that? When do I do that? So hard. But Paul is saying at the beginning of this chapter, as he opens this up, as we've just looked at the dangers for the church and for ourselves, see what Paul starts with. If I think this is too hard, hard, look at these verses. Look at this verse. Therefore, if, change if for since. Therefore, since. Since, times four. Since since you have encouragement from being united with Christ. Union with Jesus. It's the wonderful doctrine of being in Christ. You are in Christ and he is in you. Since that is true, that is fact. Paul says, since you have been comforted by his love, you've tasted his love for you, dear Christian. Since you now share in the work of the Spirit. 
since you have experienced tenderness and compassion of Jesus, this enables you to have compassion and tenderness towards others. See, a selfless church is one who is enabled and empowered by a selfless saviour. This is what a selfless church looks like since Christ has done his work. And you see, that's why Paul can be quite direct in verse five. So in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's not something that I've got to work towards. It's not something I've got to really try hard to grasp. No, Paul is saying in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Because you're one in him. You've been united with him. You're in him. He's in you. This is possible. And as he starts there, he says, let me remind you, let me remind you of your selfless saviour. So let's look, point two, a selfless saviour. Here are the words that perhaps are most familiar to us. A selfless church and a selfless saviour, verses six to 11. Let's spend a little bit of time just looking at these verses. Just we'll read them and then we'll make a comment on them. Uh, but not too much. We just let these words, I think, just sink in of the selfless saviour. It was said that the greatest display of humility that the world has ever witnessed is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see why. Before we dive in, let me just read um, a couple of lines uh, from... Uh, this good book that I've been working on, really, really top book that's helped me and, and so I'm sure get our heads around Philippians. Listen to what he says here. He, he says we need to stop, stop before we go any further. We need to linger here in order to appreciate and marvel at this. In his incarnation, Jesus did not diminish his deity. When he assumed human flesh, he never became less than fully God. What Jesus did yield was the free exercise of his divine prerogatives. He likewise sacrificed the intimate relationship he had enjoyed with the Father from eternity past. While taking upon himself sinless humanity, he remained fully God, but he surrendered every advantage as God. He chose to empty himself of the constant use of his deity. So verse six, Paul says this, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't. He left being part of that deity, everything of the deity went with him, but he gave up his rights of the deity and he came as a humble servant. There are three supremes that are worth noting. Look, the supreme servant. See, servants were as nothing in the ancient world, nothing. And verse seven says this, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. 
the supreme servant. Look at these supremes. We won't spend much time commenting on them, but just note them down. The supreme servant. And look at verse 8, the supreme shame and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The great theologian John Calvin said this, even this was great humility, that from being Lord, he became a servant. But Paul says that he went farther than this. Because while he was not only immortal, but the Lord of life and death, he nevertheless became obedient to his father, even so far as to endure death. This was extreme abasement, especially when we take into view the kind of death. For by dying in this manner, he was not only covered with, with hatred in the sight of God, but was also accursed in the sight of God the supreme shame the sinless saviour did it oh why am I so unwilling to humble myself and see others above me and the third supreme the supreme exaltation look in verse 9 therefore because the sinless saviour did this because the selfless saviour did this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And you see that the Lord God lifted him up, the supreme exaltation. He lifted the selfless servant high to his rightful place. And you see then what our right submission and right confession looks like. Look at verse 10. And 11, look down at your Bibles if you've got them open. I'll just read them. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As the Lord Jesus is raised up, this is what will happen. Every knee will bow. The world as we know it. And in the supernatural world, the world above, the world as we know it, the world below, every tongue will acknowledge. And you see what, what the Lord God has enabled us to do now. He's enabled us to bow down tonight. He's loosened our tongues to sing praises to him tonight. One day all will. But tonight it's our joy and it's our privilege. And Paul is saying that his joy will be complete when the church live out selfless lives, when the church look out for each other and for a lost world, when the church realise that they're enabled by a saviour who has made that possible. Paul says, that's my completed joy, to go and live out your salvation union with christ here's the model of the lord jesus christ now you're in him and he is in you now go and live and go and live lives without selfish ambition go and live lives that put 
others people's concern and perhaps great personal cost to yourself put them before you i don't think i've even begun to grasp what this means what this looks like get glimpses of it but it's like sand through the fingers get joy when i see others serving and and get joy when when i'm able to serve without wanting people out of vain conceit to see that i've done it i confess this is hard but paul says you're able to you're able to because of who you are in christ and because of who christ is in you so look to him dear town church look to him he's a great selfless savior went to the cross for you he went to the cross for me for me then to go and live in community as the church should go and live hallelujah what a savior we're going to spend time in questions if we're on zoom uh, after the formal part of this gathering uh, finishes and really try and root some of these truths about the lord jesus and what paul um, says the church should be like that will give him the greatest of joy but before we go any further and we say prayers uh, at the end we're going to sing uh, a song hallelujah what a savior this comes straight out of philippians 2 as i see the lord jesus for who he is as i just stop and grasp in the busyness of life in the mad changing world of covid-19 as i as i try and get my head around restrictions as i try and work out work and family life here here is the truth about the lord jesus as we sing this as a church united in him hallelujah what a savior because he's a man of sorrows let's go and sing this song together <laughs>